Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. I'm in the second week of my series on the armor of God, and it's been a little bit different because I'm not just delving right into the armor of God, but it's more like spiritual warfare. So if you turn in your Bibles, as I did last week, to Ephesians chapter 6, but this is the second part of my new series. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. How many people know that we live in a spiritual war, right? We live in a spiritual world, but a spiritual war. And so we're going to see as we move forward and, and, and probably further into this end times that I believe that we're seeing, we're going to see more and more spiritual things take place, come to pass. And we can put our heads in the sand, but it doesn't matter, it's still there, amen? Now, as I said last week, we can become so enamored in it that we become, if I could say, too preoccupied with spiritual warfare, which is not good, but if we equally and opposite ignore it, that is just as bad. So we have to find a balance, and I believe there's... All of us here in the church need to know what it is to battle demonic forces, to battle uh, spiritual forces, as the Bible says, because we are going to face them in our lives. Some of you have already faced them. Some of you are facing them. But the sad reality is the church today doesn't talk about this kind of stuff because it makes people uncomfortable. We don't talk about demons and devils. But the fact is, because we don't discuss it and we don't talk about it, can I be honest with you, we, we are ill-prepared to face the battle, number one. And number two, quite frankly, it's scary to us. And it should never be scary. It's as real as me looking at you right now. If if our eyes, matter of fact, the Bible talks several times where people's eyes were opened spiritually so they could see the spiritual atmosphere. And we just look at those things as stories, right? It's a story. Paul said, I know a man, what? That went to the third heaven and saw things that were inexpressible, things that I can't even repeat. In the Old Testament, Elijah's servant, he goes, open his eyes so that he can see. And he opened his eyes and saw that the hills were covered with the chariots of glory. I think there's an aspect that we need to have our eyes opened, at the very least examined. You see, the devil has been so good at taking the Holy Spirit and all that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do out of the church. And so that we're ill-prepared to fight. So what ends up happening, as, the, as I'm about ready to read... What happens is that we don't battle correctly, we battle in the flesh, we battle each other. And then there's splits in the church, marriages, divorce, pain, hurt, things that are unnecessary because we're not recognizing that we face a spiritual enemy that wants to destroy you. These are not my words. The enemy comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. I say to people, wherever there's death, destruction, or stuff being stolen from you, that's the MO of the enemy. But God has come to give us life. Jesus came to give us life, and not just life, but abundant life. I look around the church today, and I'm like, how many people here are living, seriously, in abundant life? That's what God calls us. That's what he, can I say it this way? That's what Jesus died for us to have. That's what he expects out of your life. But there are times, as Ephesians 6 says, that there is going to be a day of evil for each one of us. What that means is it's going to be a day of battle. It's going to be a day that we're going to stand before the enemy, and the enemy's going to invade our marriages and invade our lives and invade our health and all these other areas, and we have to know how to fight. Being ignorant isn't the answer. Being ignorant is not the, not the answer. We need to know. So again, Ephesians 6, you can read that. If not, follow along in your Bible. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The original Greek word for schemes is, it's actually where we get the word methods, or what he does, his methods of attacking. For we do not wrestle, here it is, we do not wrestle against what? Other people, flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's our battle, folks. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand when? In the evil day. In another version, it says, when the evil day comes. And having done everything, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. How many people have read this so many times? You could probably quote it, right? Today I want to break it down a little bit. So if you bow your heads, we're going to start off with some prayer. God, we come before you knowing that we see in part and we know in part. We ask for your presence and your Holy Spirit here, your anointing to open our hearts, open our ears, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning, eyes to see what you want us to see, hearts ready to receive what you want to give us. It's cliche, Father, but equip this, this church for battle. Equip us to know how to battle effectively, to distinguish and to discern what is the enemy. Pray a blessing on these people on this service. God, you be glorified in this house today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right. So, as I said already, as I shared last week, if you, if you didn't listen last week, you can listen to it online. The biggest mistake we make is to enter into a spiritual battle without being fully prepared or spiritually filled. Most of the church is not spiritually filled. If I could be honest, most of the church is running on empty. Most of the church is overwhelmed too busy, and then when battles come, we get our butt handed to us. To understand, we need to understand who and what resides in us. I talked on that, and I'm going to talk on it again in a second. Whether we believe it or not, see, that's the point. People could say, well, there's a devil. He's out there somewhere, and God's out there. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. It's what the Bible says, and the Bible says the enemy's real, and he's, he's the enemy of our souls. He's an accuser, destroyer. A believer who's trying to live for God, someone that is going after God, somebody that loves the Lord, hear this, will receive more attention from the enemy. It's really a harsh truth. The devil would like nothing more than to you just to live the status quo and not go hard after him. But if you've been a Christian for any period of time, I'll be honest with you, the harder you go after God, the more you're going to run into the devil. See, the, 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 that great little proverb that says, if you're going in God's direction, sooner or later you're going to run into the devil. If you never run into the devil, you're probably going his way. My wife and I always laugh when we have fasts at this church. Her and I are like, oh, gosh. No, I'm being serious, right, honey? Every time we're like, we're going to fast? Okay. See, the more you read the Bible, the more you get involved in the church, the more you, you know, get involved in ministry, the more problems that you encounter. I'm just being honest. I'm being blatantly honest. I'd love to sit here and say, oh, yeah, the power in you is amazing. It is. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, you know, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. In this life, you're going to face battles. In this life, you're going to have people that don't like you. In this life, you're going to have things happen that are unfair. But if we're not equipped to handle those things, we're, we're, doomed. we're doomed to fail. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you know, you can read your Bible and read your Bible and read your Bible and you get yourself encouraged and that's important and all that, but there's going to be times where you are tried. Remember when Jesus looked at Peter and he goes, the devil wants to sift you. And Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to stop it. No, he said, I'm going to pray that your faith remains. The devil wants to sift you. Our prayer is that 
your faith remains. Your faith remains. See, he doesn't want to waste his time on those that are far from God, that are walking away from God. The more faithful they become, the more of a target they represent. Come on now. The more faithful you are serving the Lord, the more of a target or a threat to his kingdom. The devil loves when he makes a believer angry at God when hard times come. We've all been there. Anybody else? You see, <laughs> he loves that, that we have misplaced anger. See, if you don't understand the battle that you face, if you don't understand what the scriptures say, you're invariably going to uh, feel like God has left you, right? Do you know what, 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 what did the devil do with, uh, with Job? He tried to get him what? To curse God. He tried to get him to blame God for what was going on. But see, the thing about scripture, which is beautiful, is we got a behind-the-scenes look at that situation. You know what happened? He went to God. The devil said, and, I, and said, I want to curse him. I want to bring on his body sickness and all these other things because I think he'll curse you. That hasn't changed. The devil doesn't try new things. So what he does is he comes and takes from you the very things that mean the most from you or messes with the things that mean the most to you and tries to get you to get mad at God and angry and curse him. That's his victory. That's why I said the greatest, sweetest praise you can ever give God is when you give it in the valley, when you've lost stuff, when you're hurting, and you still can give your heart to the Lord in that moment and say, God, I love you. I need you. I don't understand. It's all right to say, I don't understand what's going on. Life sucks right now. But I will tell you this, you still deserve my praise. That is sweet, sweeter than honey. Because I, I, th I think in his mind, he, he's such a, a negative thinker. He's like, well, if I steal this from them or cause physical issues or I do stuff in their life that messes with them, they're just going to, because I did, they're just going to get angry at God. And then when you don't, when you praise him, when you walk into a service broken, we've all been there. Come on. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Broken, and you still sing. You still worship. He doesn't understand, Kathy. He doesn't understand that. In the Christian life, one plus one doesn't always equal two. But that's what it does for him, you know? So when we start to worship God and things are rough and things are hurtful and things are broken and everything around us looks sick and diseased and we worship God, that doesn't make sense, but something begins to change in that moment. Paul's friends didn't understand it, or Job's friends didn't understand No one understood, but Job understood. In the good times and bad, he's still... Listen, not one person, you'd be insane if you enjoyed going through hard times. No one likes that. Honestly, I prefer just meadows of flowers, strawberries, a couple people standing over me, fanning me. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Feed me strawberries. Devil loves when he makes a believer angry at God. A week ago, I shared on verse 10. Actually, that's, I spent the whole message on verse 10 where it says, to be strengthened in the Lord and his mighty power. And I just want to review that real quick for those that weren't here. The word is a, pre it's a present tense um, of the verb, be strengthened. So it's not a one-time event. I said that last week. It's a constant strengthening through God. A constant strengthening. So the Bible says to be strong in the Lord means to be strengthened continuously. It's not all of a sudden you arrive and you're strong enough. Someone's serious. Some, sometimes I'm strong enough on Mondays, but Tuesdays come around and, man, it flattens me. I find many times, man, I tell you, some of the most greatest victories that I've ever experienced in my life is usually preceded by some, the enemy coming in and trying to cut my legs out. Some of the greatest services I've ever experienced, usually within 24 hours, I'm starting to feel depressed. I go back to three years ago, and the Lord spoke to me this about this church. You ready? Catch this. 
The Lord said, teach your people how to suffer well. That was the word the Lord gave me, and it's still going on. Because quite frankly, honestly, if I don't teach you how to suffer well, you're not going to be here long. You're going to be out drinking, you're going to be out doing carousing, whatever. Because humanity was, man, I could go off on this. I don't even know what I'm doing this morning. I feel like I'm not even preaching, I'm just talking. But I feel like humanity can't survive without God, so they try. They do everything under the sun to try to fill that void. So I know, Mary, I need to teach you how to suffer well. I need to teach you, you know, as a pastor, I need to, through the Holy Spirit, teach what the scriptures say about how, how we push through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the craziest scripture I ever heard. Though I walk through death. The shadow of death is on me. Walk through it. AJ, walk through it. Are you serious? Most of us sit up and put a camp up and power. Most of us, sometimes, but can I be honest with you, you build a house. You stay there a long time and you just get angry at everybody and you push everybody away. No, God says walk through. You still got to walk through it. You still got to suffer through it. God doesn't leave us nor forsake us. He gives us the ability to do these things, to be strengthened. So here's a word that no Christian likes to hear. Everybody listen. No one likes to hear this, but you need to hear it. Ready? The implication of being strengthened in the Lord means there's a responsibility on our, on our side, right? It means disciplines. How many people like, how many people here go to the gym every morning? How many people, not every morning. How many people go at least once a week? Six. Percentage is very low. Why? Because it's a discipline. The Lord told me this morning we are, oh, you're going to like this, ready? The Lord told us this morning we're supposed to give up coffee for the next two weeks. My little, yeah. Oh, yeah, everybody here is like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Look at it. Seriously, some of you already are shaking. You got the shakes already. Lord says, I want you to fast your phone, social media. No, tic-tac, tic-tock, chit-chat, Snapchat. You know, it implies that we're supposed to have discipline. It's not a one-time strengthening. It's not me laying hands on you and saying, have it, take it. Now you're strong for the rest of your life. It's every single day grinding, getting into the word and reading it, not just reading it. It's getting on your knees and praying. I don't feel like praying. Pray. I don't feel like praying. I don't know about you, but when I pray, the first 15 minutes is me trying to control my thoughts. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, i got to do this, this, and this today. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you. Love you so much, Jesus. I wonder what my wife's doing. Jesus! Dinner? Jesus! Jesus! Literally, for 15 minutes, I have to sit there and keep bringing myself back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then I try doing this. This, this doesn't work for anybody that's also thinking about trying it or doing it. I try praying as I'm laying in bed. Oh, it works great to put me to sleep. I pray for every single one of my family members and in-laws and all that stuff, right? And I, I'll be honest, the person that gets prayed for most is my wife, because she's first. No, she does, because usually by the second or third person, I'm out. I feel bad. I'm not going to say who the last person is, but they're not getting hardly any prayer. Anyway, so, okay. I don't know where I was. Yeah, spiritual disciplines. Okay, so I want to ask you this morning, and listen to this. What are your spiritual disciplines to keep yourself strengthened in the Lord? I'm, 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 I don't want you to answer, but I want you to think about it seriously this morning. Do you have spiritual disciplines in your life that are keeping you strong in the Lord? I'm saying it again. It better not be Sunday morning because that's not enough. I'm not that good. What are you doing? 
The problem is we shy away from those things because as Americans, we like everything easy. We want a pill. We want this. We want that to solve our issues like that. And we don't understand our walk with the Lord is not like that. It's a spiritual discipline. It's denying the flesh. That's why fasting, quite frankly, is very, very difficult because you're denying your flesh. In the beginning, God created hamburgers. And he looked and said, it's very good. So I want to ask you, what are your spiritual disciplines? Do you have any spiritual disciplines in your life other than coming to church maybe on a Sunday? What have you decided to do to counter the attacks of the enemy? What have you done to fortify yourself or your marriage or your home? Have you done anything? It's not meant to make you feel guilty or shameful. It's asking you serious questions. And then Paul gives this description of what our battle will be like. I love Paul because he's always using symbolism. Do you notice that? He's always using symbolism of that day to explain what people face. And what is the symbolism he uses? For, we, for our struggle, or in some versions it says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against power. Basically he's saying we're not wrestling against each other, we're wrestling against the demonic, the spiritual realm. And what is the symbolism he uses? Wrestling. Now I want to tell you about wrestling in that day because it's a little bit different than wrestling today. Wrestling in that day was still you trying to put your opponent on their back where their shoulder blades would touch the ground. That's how you won. But it was meant to be the most physically taxing and uncomfortable as possible. What does that mean? There were no time limits or periods. There were no rounds. There were no respites. And you did it in the middle of the summer in the hot sun blazing upon you. There also were no weight classes. So there's very good possibility when you went to the ring to wrestle, you were wrestling against someone twice your size. Oh, it gets better. Now, now catch this. This is what Paul is using to describe our battle. Sometimes we face an enemy that seems bigger than us, more powerful. Depending on where you wrestled and what part of the country or the land and who was in charge, the one that determined the rules and regulations, really determine much of how the wrestling match took place. So, again, to win, you had to get your opponent on their back, very much like it is today. But in some areas, catch this, kicking one, the, uh, your opponent in the groin was accepted. Another option was breaking your opponent's fingers. So people that had head strength, they would get in a clutch like this, and they would bend them back until they broke. That hurts. That was wrestling back in the day. So when Paul told his disciples, or Paul told the, at church in, in the Ephesus church, and said to them, listen, we wrestle not, they immediately went to, oh my goodness, this is a battle. This isn't easy. Can I ask somebody this morning, now do you understand why at times you get so stinking weary? Anybody? You ever understand now why you feel like giving up, giving in, throwing in the towel, wanting to walk away? Come on, somebody. Now do you understand why it's so crucial not to go to battle unprepared and uninformed? Hand-to-hand -hand combat is tiring. It's close. It's in your face. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. It's physically and emotionally draining, let alone spiritual. Even though the Bible says and Paul says it's a spiritual battle, it doesn't mean how many people know a spiritual battle still taxes the rest of your body emotionally, physically, spiritually. Can I say it's why it's so vitally important? We should never give up on an opportunity to come to church. Never come to church just callously. I don't care how you're feeling. Get your emotions in check. Come in and get refreshed because there's limited times in your life to get refreshed, especially when it comes in this setting with brothers and sisters around you.
But we're so used to it. I was joking with my wife as we were walking through the doors, side doors. I said, man, we've walked into this church thousands of times. She goes, honey, I've been here since I was a kid. I've walked in longer than you have. And it's true. She was here as a baby. And I'm like, let it always be fresh and new. Never let me take for granted what God has given us in this place. But worship was amazing this morning. It was our opportunity to get in, to be refreshed, to be renewed in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says the refreshing of the Lord comes through his presence. Don't take for granted worship services, messages you hear, prayer or teaching opportunities. Come with an open heart to receive. Along with this Ephesians 6 scripture, he also gave the Corinthian church some powerful ammo, and I'm going to basically settle on this and end this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read it. It says, for though we live in this world, right? We live in this world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. It's very clear, very similar to the Ephesians 6 chapter, right? Very similar. On the contrary, they have divine power. Guess what that word power is? Dunamis. It's where they get the word dunamis, right? We have divine power to, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make obedience to Christ. A lot of wordage, a lot of verbiage. I'm sure some this morning are reading that. I'm like, I'm not quite understanding what it means. I'm going to tell you what it means. Remember last year I talked about power, last week I talked about power being the dunamis power. It's the supernatural power that was given to us through the Holy Spirit. It's the same power in Ephesians 1 that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's inside of you. You are a weapon, a mighty weapon, but most of you don't know. Most of you have never tapped into that. It's the supernatural power of God inside of each believer. And that power, the Bible says, is able to demolish strongholds. A stronghold, again, is a symbolic picture that Paul was using in that day for them to understand. It was a castle or a fortified city that had a moat around it. It was almost impenetrable. It wasn't easily accessed. It wasn't able to be attacked with much success. Do you hear me? But yet God says you have enough power inside of you to not just break through its gates, but to demolish it, to demolish it. Come on, somebody. So I want to give you a little bit of a picture to help you understand. Imagine your life like this, everybody. Imagine your life as a thousand acre lot. That's your, that's your land, that's your, that, that's your life. Some of it's fields, some of it's trees. It's beautiful. You have wildlife and flowers and vegetation. It's beautiful. But over in the corner of your life, of your property, there's a stronghold. It's dark and dingy. It's embarrassing. It's an area that has not yet been given over or surrendered to God. Can I be honest with you? Every one of us has one or has had one or more. So 99% of the property is beautiful. Your life is 99% beautiful. But that 1%, that area that you don't like to think about, you don't talk much about it because it's scary. It's embarrassing. In some ways, it's shameful. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But yet that area, that stronghold, God says he wants you to demolish. But sadly, most of us don't deal with those hidden places, and we don't realize that eventually those hidden places wander outside of their area and begin to impact other areas. 
I'm going to tell you right now, you all know people or have known people that have strongholds in their life and they've never taken care of them and eventually they start polluting all the nice, good ground. In a larger setting, can I say this to you? In a larger setting, we have regions that we live in that have spiritual strongholds. For the most part, the region's beautiful. We like it. We love living there. But these strongholds slowly begin to pollute the land. Drugs and alcohol, illicit sex. And next thing you know, mar- I'm telling marriage is breaking up. And we don't realize that those strongholds are having such a huge influence on our regions. And God says, you have the dunamis power to destroy those things. Not just get through the gates barely, losing half the troops. No, demolish. We're talking like Jericho, walls caving in on I want you to picture it so you understand. When he was talking about strongholds, they understood what he was saying. Paul said the dunamis power inside of us is able to demolish every one of these strongholds, whether personal or regional. Paul then gives us two areas. I like this scripture because he actually gives us details of things that need to be demolished. And I believe, can I, can I say this to you? I believe there is still as relevant, if not more relevant today than they ever were. And please, if, if you can, give me your best attention because this will change your life. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Number one, what does he say? You need to demolish any arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I'm going to break that down. It's very simple. This is essentially saying anything that is presented, catch this, any man-made idea, any philosophy, any viewpoint that runs contrary to what the Bible says needs to be brought down. Any idea, opinion, worldview that asserts that Christ, that Jesus is unnecessary, must be demolished. Any concept, even seemingly good, but is contrary to the kingdom of God, needs to be removed, can I say this, canceled. I'm combining three different versions of the Bible. The New English Transfer, the English Standard Version, and Amplified, and I put this together, this sentence. This is what it means. I'm redefining it. Those systems that fought, those systems of thought that war against us, are arrogant obstacles, lofty opinions, and sophisticated arguments, and every exalted and proud thing that prevent or keep people from knowing God. Paul said to the Corinthian church, he goes, what? The enemy has put a veil over the eyes, the minds of unbelievers, so they can't see. Our job is to tear the veil away through the blood of Jesus Christ. I will never forget the night I got saved at 14 years old. I got saved, church was at the movie theater at that time, and I got saved and I walked outside, and I'll never forget. It was the first time I ever thought I heard the voice of the Lord, like sensing something. I'll never forget the first thing I remember the Lord ever saying to me is, you're seeing this town for the first time. Now, at that time, I didn't know what I meant, what it meant. Later I knew, but really what had happened is my veil had been torn away, and I was now seeing. Can you understand now, if people's eyes are veiled that don't know Jesus, why you shouldn't be arguing with them? Because they don't see. They swear they see correctly. They're not seeing. It's not a physical battle. 
False religion and secular philosophy has created thinking that has imprisoned the minds of millions of people. We are called to demolish them, to see them come to the glorious salvation of Jesus Christ. It's our job. Someone asked you a question, are you entertaining ideas that are anti-God, anti-Bible? Are you watching or, watching or listening to things that are influencing what you know to be biblically true? You've heard me preach on this before, but one of the things that is the most threat, biggest threat to our lives, to our children's lives, is college right now. They go out and they have liberal professors that are preaching things that are ungodly. And many of our kids are falling because it makes sense in their minds. And the second one, I love this, I've quoted it hundreds of times in this church. Number two, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive, handcuffs, every thought. Everybody in this place struggles with this. Again, I say, man, Paul knew what he was talking about. First, he's talking about ideas, thoughts, philosophies that come against God, what's happening in our nation right now, that very thing. And what's the second thing that the church is dealing with? I think the biggest thing they deal with, their thoughts. This is the largest obstacle we face. Listen to this. Wrong thinking leads to wrong actions, which leads to wrong paths, which leads to lost destinies, and ultimately leads to a lost person. I'm going to say it again because you need to hear it. Wrong thinking, what? When we think incorrectly, we begin to do things incorrectly, which leads us down paths we were never supposed to walk down, which leads to lost destinies, what God has called us to do, and eventually leads us to a place where we feel completely lost. Can I say this? The battle is almost always won or lost. Now, your heart will get you to do stupid things. How many people know that, right? You'll do some really stupid things. When you're young and you're in love, oh, I love them so much, I'm going to walk 200 miles in the dark to go see them. You'll do them. But the mind is where you win and lose battles. Everyone. You know what I'm talking about? You, that thought comes. See, this is what Christianity, Christianity is supposed to be very good at, controlling thoughts. But we've gotten very bad at it because a thought comes, and in that moment, when a thought is injected in our mind, we control what happens with that thought, whether it dies or gains root. But for many, that thought comes. And this is the thing about it. The University of Cincinnati did this study, which is amazing. 80% of what we worry about never comes to pass. And the 20% that does is never near as bad as we thought it was going to be. I tell my kids all the time, they'll be worrying about stuff. You can ask Lizzie this. I tell her all the time. I'm like, don't need to worry. I go, Dad, you don't understand this. Blah, 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 blah. Don't worry about it. And then once it doesn't happen, she goes, I know, Dad. I just got to get better at it. I'm like, you wasted emotion. You wasted, you know, stressed yourself out. You wasted all that stuff. Why? Because the devil wants you to. But that thought comes. And it comes in seed form. Maybe you have cancer. And it's amazing. Nobody likes you. My kids are going to. They're going to die. For me, when, when I was growing up, when I first got married and had kids, I lived in fear that my kids were going to be taken. Somehow a thought got in my mind that I, let, that I let grow, and next thing I know, every night I'd get up, you could ask my wife, and I would go through every door, every room of the house, every window, and I'd make sure it was locked. It was obsessive. It was causing me to lose sleep. Every time I heard some, some, something goes thump in the night, and I don't know why everything always thumps in the night. It drives me insane. Never thumps during the day. It thumps at night. Right? I just, what was that? What was that? I'd sit up in bed, and of course my wife wouldn't help. She goes, well, go check it out. <laughs> Walk through the house. Guess what? I never found anything. 
My cat and my dog would look at me like, what are you doing? It's 2 in the morning. What are you doing? I'd go back to bed, not sleep well. It went on for years, years. And I'll never forget when God set me free, he finally said to me, he goes, what are you doing? I thought children are a blessing from the Lord. They're from the Lord. He said, I'll take care of you kids. Just pray over them. Man, sleep is good. But it starts off with that thought. What if, and it's almost always centered on fear, what if my marriage doesn't make it? What if my kids don't make it? What if this or what if that? I mean, we go on and on. Finances are a big one. And it's deposited. And in that moment, we have determination whether to take that thing and send it back to hell or to start dwelling on it. And what we do is we determine whether it starts growing. And that's the problem. When it starts growing roots, that means it's embedded. And once it becomes embedded, it's eventually going to grow fruit. And when you have fear in your life, whatever, they always have friends that come alongside. So you get this thought, and you start dwelling on it. And the next thing you know, you start obsessing over it. And next thing you know, if I could say this way, and we know people, that come on, we know people, maybe even know yourself, where it becomes almost like a part of your DNA. It's who you are. It's in your personality. Or when something is suggested to you or something is said to you, you can't even believe it because it's filtered through this negative thing. Okay. Ready? No one answer this question. I'm going to say something to you, and this will prove it. God wants to bless you financially. Guarantee you some people in here are like, I don't deserve it. Oh, never going to happen. You don't understand what I've been through, Pastor. That's not true. Why? Because you filtered it through something, some negative thought, some negative experience that's happened, and you base theology on that. And the Word of God says you take every one of those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. What's that saying? You take every thought captive that doesn't line up with what God says. The obedience of Christ. God wants to bless you. He's not going to make everybody a millionaire, but he wants you to have more than enough. How do I know that? When he fed the thousands, he had 12 baskets extra. He's a God of abundance. Don't listen, just because some people say, listen, Psalm 40, so you need to give $40. Stop it. Don't listen to that. But it doesn't stop the fact that God still doesn't want to bless you. God wants to bless your marriage. Oh, you don't understand my marriage. You don't understand my, okay, oh, okay. Let's rewrite, let's rewrite the scripture. God wants to bless most marriages, but not mine. <laughs> or not so-and-so's because they don't know my husband or they don't know my wife. Our sons and daughters shall prophesy. Oh, you don't know. They're out partying and drinking. Do you want to What are you talking about? Take every, how many thoughts? Every thought. And you compare it to Scripture, and then you say, devil, suck on it. Yeah. It, ain't li- it ain't lining up. It ain't what, what God says. This is what God says about me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For there is no condemnation for those. But one of the greatest things that I see the body of Christ go through is guilt and shame, and it kills me. Why does it kill me? First of all, I lived there for 10 years. I tried to be good enough. I tried to earn God's love. Oh, he sent his son for me. Man, i got to show him I'm worthy. God says, what are you talking about? You'll never be worthy. I'm like, oh, that makes it so much easier. I mean, I can just, like, he's like, it's a gift. I, I mean, I can just, like, when was the last time you, you celebrated Christmas or a birthday and you got a gift and you looked at it and said, oh, I don't know, I just don't know. No, take it back. Someone gives you a $100 handshake, if that's ever happened to you, that, they're wonderful, by the way. They're really cool. 
It's like a $100 bill hidden in your hand. Somebody actually gave me a gift card handshake this morning. It was awesome. I love you, and they blessed me, and I'm like, they do love me. <laughs> totally. Stop it. Now, you might say, oh, man, I don't know if I can take it. Yeah, that's just being polite. But the fact of the matter is, it's a gift from God. Yet the devil has convinced many people that we have to work for our salvation. We've got to prove that we're worthy of his love. And it's exhausting. Can you imagine? Picture this. Can you, I'm not saying we're, at, we're not responsible for our actions. If you're hearing that, you're missing my message. But can you imagine if we were to take our junk right now, whatever that is, finances, health, marriages, kids, whatever that is, relationships, and just pick the junk up, by the way, it's called burdens in the Bible, and placed it at the feet of Jesus, and then God is so good, Jesus is so good, he turns around and gives us back peace and joy. That's the exchange process. It's the best exchange rate in the world. That's what he wants to do. But all of us, in periods of our life, we just carry the junk, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation. Can I set somebody free this morning and tell you, your parents' bad decisions don't need to linger on you. And I can prophesy that because it was on me with my father for years and years and years. My dad left when I was young, so I was always trying to prove myself. Always being the one to try to prove myself that I was worthy. Other people's decisions doesn't dictate or determine who you are. I don't care what family you come from. I don't care what's happened. And I'm not being callous. I'm just trying to tell you this morning that every thought that enters your mind doesn't have to rule your life. But sadly, that's what I see happening. Not just I mean, it's in the world, all over the place. Fear, division, anger. But it's coming to the church gradually. And I see division in the church, and I see anger in the church, and I see bitterness, and I see fear, and I see shame, and I see guilt. And I'm like, devil, man, you're making some inroads. It's time for us to get out the big hammers of the Holy Ghost and start demolishing these strongholds. They don't belong in believers' lives. <laughs> I remember years ago, I used to be this when I was a kid. I get a thought in my mind. Anybody, can, anybody know what I'm talking about? I get a thought in my mind that someone, did, someone didn't like me. And oh, man, that tortured me. I literally, I would sit there and go, oh, I know it. Did you see so-and-so look at me at church? Oh, they're angry at me. I know they're angry at me. They're angry at me. And all afternoon, I just stew over that saying, they're angry at me. I know they're angry at me. Oh, come on. Join the club. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, they're angry at me. And then all of a sudden, you go two or three days, and you're convinced they want to kill you. And you find out later, they just yawned. They yawned and didn't want you to see it, so they turned away. But your mind made you convinced. Take every thought captive. I love the Bible because it's so concise. It doesn't give us areas to think outside of the lines. It says, love your enemies. That's what you're supposed to do with brothers and sisters. I would love to know what goes on. In you. Maybe I wouldn't. That probably is a bad thing. But if your thoughts could be projected on this screen right now, <laughs> would it be like a ping pong ball? <laughs> For some of you, it would be like, all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, that's like a dark, dingy swamp. What's going on there? It's tracking alligators and snakes. Oh, my gosh. I would hope it would be like, ready? Rainbows. Unicorns. Joking. You understand what I'm saying. What's that toy, the pony toy? My Little Pony. If you had those, for some of you, it would be like, 12-point buck frolicking through the grass. But if I could be honest with you, probably for most of us, we'd be embarrassed by what people would see because we're getting, we don't understand, we're getting bound. We've become bound to ideologies and thoughts that are of demonic, from hell. 
And I say it again, those thoughts determine our actions, and those actions either make or break our destinies. And at the end of our lives, are we going to look back and say, I lived my life in fear. I lived my life in sorrow. I lived my life in hopelessness. I lived my life in pain. I lived my life in bitterness. Here's a big one. I lived my life in offense. And everything that happened to me, I filtered it through those things. And at the end of my life, I look back, and I see where I didn't let God move miraculously in my life because I allowed the thought patterns in my life to control me, the negative thought patterns. Don't kid yourself. All of us have seasons where we deal with that. All of us have seasons where we deal with that. So how are your spiritual disciplines? How have you done at defending the faith, protecting these ideologies, these humanistic ideas, the agendas that lead us away from God into ungodliness? Church, how are you doing with taking captive your thoughts that bring shame, guilt, anxiety, fear? Can I say this? Literally, your life depends on it. Your life depends on it. People will say stuff like this to me. They'll go, well, Sean, you're, you're, you're an optimist. You're, you're a sanguine. You're a type A personality. Can I tell you something? My type of personality has high highs, but we have really low lows. I'm telling you. And so I've learned, I've trained my mind things come in that try to bring me to the low places, because I've been in some low, dark places. I don't let them. I've told you before, every one of us has triggers that send us down those holes. And I figure out, you have to figure out what they are. For me, it's frustration. When I get frustrated, I know I'm in for a two-week binger of darkness. So guess who doesn't get frustrated? Or if I get frustrated, I quickly call somebody, puke all over them, and then I'm great. I can't, let it, I can't let it grow roots. I can't, I can't let it grow roots. I, you, this is your pastor speaking. I can't let that thought, that seed grow roots. Church, you have to do the same. You have to do the same. Your life depends on it. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.